0: Well, good morning again. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today. She is the First Lady of Mid-America Christian University. She has been serving in ministry for over 25 years. She is a national public speaker and a worship leader, and I have been so blessed to have her as a part of our worship team here in the second service. Would you please give a Chartel warm welcome to Reverend Stephanie Greenwald? Good to be here with you guys today. Good morning. Thank you for such a warm welcome. We've got a picture up here so you can see my better half, which is Phil Greenwald there in the awesome robe as president of Mid-America Christian University. He's coming up on his one-year anniversary. June 1st is when he took over as president, and we are so excited to be at MACU. Then we've got two beautiful daughters. We did pretty good, didn't we? Yes, I think we did. Over here on the right is Callie. She's our oldest. She's 17. She'll be graduating from high school in just a couple of weeks and starting at MacU here in the fall, which we're really excited about. And Tori is over here on the left. She is 15 and a half and driving. So watch out. (laughs) She's actually a really good driver. I think she gets it from her mother. But she is a sophomore at Community Christian in Norman. And so she just finished her last track meet yesterday which we are very excited about and also a little sunburned but it was a lot of fun okay so today i'm excited to just get to look at you let me just see you because i don't usually get to see you often from this vantage point for just a few minutes so it's great to see you and i want to say hi to everybody who's joining us online as well thank you for watching from wherever you are okay have you ever asked the question are we there yet have you ever heard the question from the back seat? Are we there yet? Yes. Well, there was one time when I needed to drive my two daughters, who were five and six at the time, from Oklahoma City to Kansas City. Now, my husband Phil was already in Kansas City for a business trip. We needed to travel there so that we could celebrate the life of my grandmother, who uh, we'd be doing that service a couple hours from Kansas City, so it worked out perfectly, except for the fact that when we go on road trips, I never drive. Does anybody else like that? Any other wives? Maybe some husbands? I don't know. Usually I'm sitting in the passenger seat. I offer to drive. Phil says, no, it's fine. I got it. And I just watch all the trees and cows whiz by the window. And I just think about how the fact is that I don't know how to get from Oklahoma City to Kansas City or anywhere else for that matter, unless Siri tells me how to get there, right? Well, these were in the days before Siri, but we did have, GPS on our phones. So I decided that I would get the girls packed up and ready to go. And we had eaten. We had gone to the bathroom. There was no need for us to stop, right, on this five-and-a-half-hour trip to Kansas City. And let me just tell you another little thing about the Greenwalds that's sort of important. We are never late to anything. In fact, we've even tried to be late a few times, and we're always five minutes early or earlier. So I had in my mind that this trip was going to take five and a half hours because that's what the GPS had told me, and I wanted to make sure we didn't have to stop, so the girls were going to have to go to the bathroom, eat, in the car. I didn't really care. We were going to get there. So we set the GPS. We pull out of the driveway. I have got snacks for them. I have got toys for them. They are ready to go. And then 30 minutes into our five and a half hour trip, I hear the question, are we there yet? And I said, No, no, we're not there yet. Is it gonna be soon? Yeah, it's gonna be really soon. Just keep playing with that thing in the backseat. So then, about an hour in to our trip, I hear the question again. And they had pretty much gone through every toy that I had ever packed or that had ever been created, and so they were bored. And so I just started throwing things into the backseat, like ketchup packets and whatever else I could find that they could play with. And so then that took about 30 minutes for them to play with that. And then, you know, we still hadn't gone to the bathroom, so I don't know what was happening in the backseat. Then about two hours in, are we there yet? And I, I was calm and collected like any good mother would be at this point. But when we got to five hours in, to our five and a half hour trip and we were nowhere close to Kansas City because we had hit construction site after construction site after construction site, I was starting to get a little nervous about what time we were actually gonna be there. So six hours in, I hear again, are we there yet? And I just said to Callie, our oldest daughter who's six at the time, I said, here's my phone. Why don't you just set an alarm for whatever time you think we're going to arrive. Because we're already past due, it doesn't matter. Just set a random alarm. And so she's back there playing on my phone. Hands the phone back. I stick it back up here so I can see where we're going. Then eight hours in to our five and a half hour trip, we are round the corner onto the street where the hotel is. And at this point, I am just spent. You know, I I like to tell people, as any good pastor would, that I like to pray when I'm in the car, right? You pray when you're in the car, right? Normally, my prayers are very pastory. They're like, I love you, Lord. I love Jesus. I love my kids. I love everybody. That's not what my prayers were like during this car trip at all, not at all. I was really frustrated, and I'm embarrassed to even admit how frustrated I was by the end of those eight hours. I really felt a little bit like God had been trying to work against me. Because nothing was going as it should. Then we turn the corner onto the street where the hotel is. And I kid you not, the moment our tires hit the parking lot to the hotel, I hear this soft alarm go off on my phone. The moment the tires hit the parking lot. And after having this wrestling with God for the last three and a half hours of the trip... Hearing that alarm did something in my heart because I could hear the Lord impressing upon my spirit saying, I know exactly when you're supposed to arrive and it may not be when you planned, but I'm in control. And I decided from that point on to not be such a control freak about a lot of things, But isn't it interesting when you are on a journey and you know there is a starting point and there's a destination, that so many times we focus so much on where we start out from. So for instance, all the baggage you bring to your journey, your starting point, or we focus so much on the destination what we're going to do when we get there, what it's going to be like when we finally arrive at this point in our lives. But the very interesting thing about a journey is that it's actually about what happens in between those two points. And as I get older, I realize that that's where the good stuff happens, is the points between A and B. The journey, the way. So today, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from Isaiah, chapter 43. Now, I love this chapter. You may be familiar with it. It starts out where God is saying to the people, I have called you by name. I have ransomed you. I have redeemed you. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the fire, it will not overcome you, and the waves will not overcome you. You will not be consumed by these things in your journey. But then as you read a little bit further, God goes into the things that he has done for the people. He says to them, I split the waters apart when you needed a way through the sea. I've done this for you. 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 Then he says something really funny to me. He says, but forget all that. But forget all that. And then he says this. Let's read this together. Behold, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So he says, forget all that stuff that I did for you before. Guess what? I'm about to do something new. I am going to make a way. Well, God is really good at making way because he just described all the ways that he made a way. But he's saying... What I'm about to do is nothing compared to what I've already done. What happened in the past is nothing compared to what's about to happen right now before your eyes. Can you see it? I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. Think about being in the wilderness for just a second with no GPS. I remember when We lived in Georgia for a very short period of time, in the mountains of Georgia. And, you know, we have mountains in Oklahoma, but (laughs) not really. The mountains in Georgia are actual mountains. And close to where Phil's parents lived at the time, there was a ranger camp that would drop off the rangers, army rangers, in this area near their house. It was kind of in the wilderness. And they would drop the rangers there, and they had to find their way back. To base. I mean, we're talking hours and hours and hours of finding your way back to base. So imagine being in that setting where you don't know up from down, right from wrong, middle from the end. You don't know any of it because you're just plopped down in the middle of something. And that may be where you find yourself today in your life. You may find yourself in the middle of a journey where you don't have a clue where you are supposed to be going. Or you may find yourself like I was, from Oklahoma City to Kansas City, something that is highly mapped out and you've got control of it and it doesn't seem to be going the way it should. Because journeys can be exciting, they can be thrilling, they can be exhilarating, they can be scary, they can be frustrating. Journeys can be all kinds of things. And so today you may be in the midst of those types of journeys or you may be in the midst of a journey that is even more difficult than the ones I mentioned. You may be in the midst of a journey from sickness to healing and you don't know what that's going to look like. You may be in a journey from a very broken, hurt, torn apart, ripped up relationship and you are hoping and praying that God is going to make a way to put all those pieces back together. Or you may have just experienced extreme loss where you feel like everything has been ripped out from underneath you. And you have no idea how life is ever going to be full again. You may feel like you're not in the wilderness. You may feel like you're in the desert where no life is present. But guess what? God has said, I'm going to make streams in the desert. I'm going to bring life where there was a death. Because he's the only one that could do that. There was a man who was on a very interesting journey. In fact, his journey started out in a pretty scary place where he almost died when he was a baby, but he was rescued from death and he was adopted into a family, a very wealthy, prestigious family that gave him everything he ever needed, the right education, the right clothes, the right everything. But then one day, as a young man, he was out wandering in the city where he lived and there was someone who was being picked on, someone who was being beat up. And this man with his upright morals decided to go over and in the heat of the moment, in the anger of the moment, he actually killed the perpetrator. He hid the body and then he ran away. He ran out into the middle of nowhere where nobody could find him and nobody knew what he did. And things were going pretty good in that part of the journey because he was able to leave all the junk behind. He found a girl, married her, started working for her dad, had this sort of mediocre job and a mediocre life. But then something crazy happened. In the middle of his mediocre day, he was walking outside, and he happened to walk past a bush that was on fire. Except the interesting thing was, as he moved closer to the bush, he noticed it wasn't being burnt up. So he looks... And he's trying to figure out what is going on. And then, shock of all shocks, he hears a voice. Moses. Moses, the voice says. And Moses gets a little closer to the bush. And the voice says, take your shoes off. Because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. I love this part of the story because I love it when God talks about shoes. Isn't that exciting? I love shoes. I don't know about y'all. I could tell you stories about shoes. I love shoes. But God actually talks about shoes quite a bit in the Bible. Did you know this? And so do his angels. Like when Joshua met the host of heaven's armies and the angel said, take your shoes off, Joshua. The ground you're standing on is holy. Or when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, takes off their shoes. Because most of the time when God talks about shoes, he tells people to take them off. But the interesting thing here in this part of the story with Moses is that if we're not careful, we miss something. Because a lot of times we think, well, God has just said, back away, I am holy. Back off. That's not what God is saying. God is saying something beautiful when he tells Moses to take off his shoes. Because here's what he's saying. I don't want your shoes or anything else to separate you from me. Your shoes are not good enough to stand on the holy ground circle, but you are. Barefoot, you are good enough to stand in the circle. And that's, I think, what we need to remember out of this part of the story today about our journey that we're in. From point A to point B, the middle, the scary part, is that God has accepted you. And he doesn't want anything to stand in the way between you and him. And oftentimes, when we do not know that we are accepted by him, we will begin to put things in between ourselves and him. Because we think that if we just kind of keep backing away out of the holy circle, that maybe he'll pick on people that are closer in and we can just stay out here. But I really want you to hear today how much he accepts you. You, in your stinky, smelly feet. He wants you in his inner circle of holiness. In Hebrews, the author tells us in chapter 12, to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Get rid of it. He doesn't say, back away from God until you're good enough to get in. No, he says, get rid of everything that separates you from God and come in. There was a girl named Chrissy Toledo. And Chrissy is actually a co-pastor with her husband of Chicago Tabernacle. And it's one of the largest churches in Chicago. Awesome church. She and her husband have co-pastored there for decades She started out as a pastor's kid. She grew up in this pastor's home. She said, I knew that God loved me. My parents told me that. I was at church every time the doors were open. But Chrissy will tell you that even though she knew God loved her, she also said, I just never thought I was good enough. I knew He loved me, but I just never thought I was good enough. And that one little lie that she believed led her to make some decisions in her life that were very toxic. So as she grew into her teenage years, she met a boy when she was 16. Very toxic relationship. She ended up getting pregnant. She was not married. She hid the pregnancy from her parents for seven months. She would be gone for long periods of time. Her parents didn't know where she was. It was a really tragic time in Chrissy's life. But just like Chrissy, I fear that we don't know God's true love for us. And when you don't know it, when you don't grab onto it, when you don't grab it for yourself and accept the fact that he accepts you, then you will continue to put things between you and him just like Chrissy did so that she could back away from him because she couldn't stand the shame. But what God is saying to us today is that when he makes a way through the wilderness and streams in the desert and he has called us to be on a journey with him, he wants you to know first and foremost, he accepts you. Moses was a murderer. And he says to Moses, take off your shoes. You get to stand right here. You are accepted by God for this journey. So then, continuing with Moses, Moses takes off his shoes. He's standing in the inner circle of holiness. And then God says to him, I have seen and I have heard my people who have cried out to me. So lots of miles away, in a land far, far away, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt during this very time that God is talking to Moses. So they're in captivity in the land of Egypt, and God is saying... I have heard and I have seen and I know their cries and I'm going to deliver them. Now, push pause. This is a really important part of what God has to say to us today about the journey you're on. Just like the Israelites had no idea what was happening in the wilderness with God and Moses, you and I often do not know the way God is at work when we can't see it. When you're walking in the wilderness and you don't know what's happening, you can rest assured that God is not asleep and he has not forgotten about you. He is at work when you can't see it and when you can't feel it. So I told you where Chrissy started out as the daughter of a pastor. And then I told you where she ended up as a co-pastor of a huge church in Chicago. Well, let me tell you how God made a way for her from point A to point B. So, when she was 16, she gets pregnant. She has a child. She ends up leaving, running away from home. She comes back sometimes to be with her parents, sometimes not. Her parents were Jim and Carol Simbola, they are the co pastors of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Carol led the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir to many Grammy Awards. So, Jim and Carol said that they would try to reach out to Chrissy, and every time they reached out to her, they just made it worse and pushed her further away. Jim said he would get up on a Sunday morning, he would go get ready to preach three services, and before he would preach on a Sunday, he would go into his office, cry his eyes out, and come out and preach to the masses. He said it was the hardest time in his life. He said one Christmas, he was opening Christmas presents with his family, and he said, I was just a mess. Everybody was having a great time opening presents. I had no idea where Chrissy was. I couldn't enjoy anything. He said he called up a pastor friend one time and poured his heart out to this pastor about what was going on with his daughter. And the pastor says to him, you just need to let her go. Just let her go. She's on her own road. She's making her own choices. You don't have any control over it. You just need to let her go. Jim hung up the phone And he cried out to God and he said, I cannot let my daughter go. And God said back to him, stop talking to everybody else about Chrissy and only talk to me. So Jim made that commitment that he was going to stop telling everybody else about what was going on with her. He was only going to talk to God about Chrissy and he would pray for her every day. So then, one Tuesday night in February in Brooklyn... Jim went to their prayer meeting. He said they usually had hundreds of people at their prayer meeting on a Tuesday night. He'd prepared a great message about the persecuted Christians around the world and they all started praying for the persecuted Christians and it was this great service and inspiring and he said his heart was just not in it. And while everybody was praying, somebody came up to him and nudged him on the arm and handed him a note. And he opened the note and the note was from a woman in their church who he said was very spiritually discerning. And the note said, I think we need to stop this meeting and pray for your daughter. And Jim said, I wasn't even talking to anybody about my daughter. I didn't even know how she would know about my daughter. But he wrestled with himself, do I stop, do I not stop, do I draw attention to my family, do I not? Finally, the urge was so strong, he stopped the meeting and he said, I think we need to pray for my daughter, Chrissy. He shared what had happened. And all of the groups of people, hundreds of people around the room began to pray. He said the sound in that room was like the sound of somebody going through labor. He said it was as if we birthed Chrissy's freedom that night. He went home. He talked to his wife. He said, if there's a God in heaven, which I really believe there is, then I know that Chrissy is going to be okay. And it was 72 hours later. Jim was getting ready in the morning, shaving, shaving cream all over his face. He was shaving. His wife runs up the stairs to the bathroom where he is and says, you have got to come downstairs right now. He's like, okay. So he wipes off the shaving cream, runs down the stairs, and sees his daughter Chrissy in the kitchen, curled up in a ball, rocking back and forth she said he said she made her way on her hands and knees over to him grabbed his pant leg cuz she couldn't even look up at him and she said who was praying for me on tuesday night and jim was so shocked he said he looked there at his daughter and he bent down he looked her in the face and she said you won't believe what happened to me on tuesday night I was in my room getting ready to go to bed. My baby was sitting, laying in her crib by my bed, and I could just feel the presence of darkness in the room. She said it was so strong and so powerful that if I knew if I went close to it, it would grab me and my child forever and we'd be gone forever. But she said then there was so much light all of a sudden. And Jesus was there, and he came, and he wrapped his arms around me. And she said, Dad, do you want to know what he said to me? Do you want to know what he said to me? And Jim said, yes. He said, Chrissy, I still love you. I still love you. And she said, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against Mom. I've sinned against God, and I'm sorry. Who was praying for me on Tuesday night? If you're going to walk this journey that's sometimes hard, you need to know this truth that even when you can't see it, God is still at work. He's making a way. He's making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert, a pathway and life. And just like with Moses and the Israelites, God was making a way even when they couldn't see it and they didn't know it because that's who God is. So then after God says to Moses, I've seen, I've heard, I'm answering the call of my people and you're going to be part of it. Moses then asks a question and I love this question. (laughs) He says to God, who am I to do this? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to help deliver the Israelites? Who am I? Well, I'm kind of glad, honestly, that God didn't really answer that because he could have said, well, you're a murderer and you run away. No, that wouldn't have been very inspiring, would it? Or God could have taken it as a great opportunity to give him a pep talk. Like, you are strong and brilliant and run and go and I'll be your cheerleader and... Nope, he didn't do that either. But when you think about a journey, whether you're driving somewhere, you're going to fly somewhere, you're going to go on a boat somewhere, what is it that you have to have with you? You have to have your ID, right? you got to take your identification. So it's brilliant that Moses decided to say, who am I to do this? But God doesn't beat him down by telling him the truth about who he is. He also doesn't build him up by telling the truth about who he could be. He does something even greater. God tells Moses who God is. And he says to his question of who am I, he says, I will be with you. Honestly, that's pretty much all you need to know. For the journey ahead. But the great thing about who God is and the reason we can find our way is because of who he is, the great thing about who God is is he doesn't just walk beside you on the journey. He doesn't just say, let me come alongside you like a GPS navigator and then I'm gonna leave when I don't feel like being with you anymore. No, God says, I wanna dwell in you. I want to be living inside of you. That's a big difference between us and other religions. He does not make it so that we have to do this alone or on our own. So when you are wondering, who am I in this journey? You just need to point yourself back in the right direction. And that is looking at God and the face of Jesus who says, I will be with you. And then to answer his question even further God tells Moses who God is by saying, I am. I am that I am. Because what happens in the deepest, darkest times of our journey, if we will allow God to live in us and through us, is that when those hard times press in on us, and we feel like we are going to get suffocated and squished, If we have allowed God to live in us in those times in the journey, then what comes out is God's identity, who God is. That's what people see, and that's what's important. It reminds me of Brant John. Brant John was the brother of Botham John. And if you remember this story from a few years ago, it was a really tragic story where Botham was in his apartment, and a woman walked in and shot him because she thought she'd walked into her apartment and he was a burglar. Tragic, tragic accident. So Brandt, Botham's brother, was on the stand during the murderer's trial. And Brandt says to the murderer, I want you to know that I want what's best for you. And I believe what is best for you is to know Jesus. And then he says, I haven't even talked to my family about this. But I don't even want you to go to jail. And he makes this kind of side comment like, no, I don't even want you to go to jail. I want you to know Jesus. And he said, I know that's what my brother would have wanted. Because that's what's best for you. And then he says, I love you. I want you to see the very end of his testimony. Let's take a look. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? 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 Yes. In those moments of our journey where it seems like we are going to break It's in those moments that God's identity shines through. He is making a way for you. He's making a way through the wilderness and streams in the desert. You are accepted. You are accepted. You can stop putting things between you and him to try to back away or make it so he can't see the real you. He knows the real you and he loves the real you. And even when you can't see what he's doing and nothing makes sense, you can rest assured that his promise is true. He is at work, even when you can't see it. And when you don't know what you have to bring to the table because you feel like your identity is worthless in the journey, you can rest assured that God is going to be with you. And that allows you to find your way. God made a way for Noah when there was a flood. God made a way for Abraham when he didn't have a place to live. God made a way for Sarah when she couldn't have babies. God made a way for Isaac and for Jacob, our fathers. God made a way for Joseph when he was caught in prison and forgotten. God made a way for Ruth and for Naomi when they didn't have anywhere to live. God made a way for Gideon to fight many people and for Samson even though he was blind. God made a way for Moses even though he was a murderer. God made a way for Joshua into the promised land and God made a way for Rahab the prostitute. God made a way for Daniel out of the lion's den. God made a way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. God made a way for the remnant that was left of the Israelites to find their way to the Messiah God made a way for Mary who was too young to be important God made a way for Matthew the tax collector who nobody liked God made a way for Peter who kept getting it wrong God made a way for Paul to preach to the Gentiles God made a way for Lazarus out of the grave God made a way for Mary Magdalene who was possessed by demons God made a way when there seemed to be no way God is making a way for you and your marriage and your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your parents. God is making a way for you and your sickness to health. God is making a way for you to live your life and have life in the middle of what seemed to be a barren land. That is how much he loves you. So say yes to the journey. Say yes to walking, not just beside him, but with him living in you. And say yes to the things that might seem scary, because God is going to be with you. He is the way maker. Let us pray. Holy Father, you are so good. Thank you for accepting us. We know you don't leave us the way we are. But you accept us as we are to take us to be who you want us to be. Thank you for working when we can't see it, when we don't understand. And thank you for being with us. Because we know that because of who you are, we can find our way. And in the deepest, darkest, scariest times, we know that you will come through. So we hold on to the hope that we have in you. And thank you for holding on to us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray and everyone said, amen.